got your Bible, you might want to turn back to the, the passage in James chapter 5. And as I said, um, I want to think this evening about, um, again, about the day when the Lord Jesus returns um, and how it should affect our lives today. That's the day, isn't it, that all uh, history is working towards uh, when the Lord comes back bringing both judgment and salvation. And um, our passage this evening talks particularly about how that, the knowledge of that day should affect uh, how we think about um, wealth and money and how we think about trouble and suffering. And between them, uh, they're two topics that take up a lot of our thoughts, aren't they? We're um, going through a cost of living crisis at the moment. We go to the, the shops and um, food costs more than it used to. Or someone was telling me this morning about how Mars bars are so much smaller than they used to be. Um, we uh, look at our electricity bills and gas bills and they're much higher than they were. Uh, mortgage and, and rental payments are going up and people are, are remortgaging and finding they suddenly have to pay hundreds of pounds extra and they don't know where they're going to find it from. And these are our big worries for a lot of people, aren't they? Apparently, um, a survey earlier this year found that one in 20 adults said they'd run out of food in the past two weeks and been unable to afford more. But they're not um, worries for everyone because we live in a, a very unequal society, don't we? Apparently, uh, the 50 richest families in the UK have more wealth than half the population uh, put together. And you think of people like um, the footballers we watch on TV. Apparently, since uh, Cristiano Ronaldo left Sa Man United for Saudi Arabia, he's been earning £3 million every single week. Um, I don't know any of your personal situations, but I doubt um, any of you earn £3 million a week. Um, but I do imagine there's a range of different situations and circumstances in the church here. And for Christians elsewhere in the world, uh, life can be even more complicated, can't it? Christians in uh, countries like Pakistan are considered uh, second-class citizens and discriminated against because of their faith. They end up uh, doing the jobs that the majority don't want to. Um, apparently 90% of Islamabad street cleaners are, are Christians working in, in horrible conditions and for little and unpredictable pay. Others uh, have to clean sewers in dangerous conditions or they work in uh, brick kilns where they're practically in slavery because of the debts that they owe their employers. So these things, uh, riches and poverty, wealth and suffering, they're big issues, aren't they? And the book of James teaches us that as we think about these things, we need to look at them with the right perspective. Uh, we need to think about them with the eternal perspective that remembers that the Lord Jesus will come back soon. So we'll think, uh, first of all, a bit about the coming judgment of the unjust rich, and then the coming reward of the suffering. Uh, the book of James is written, as the name suggests, by James, who was the brother of Jesus Christ. And it was written to Christians who were scattered across the Roman Empire. Uh, many of them probably Jewish people who'd been scattered uh, far from home. And most of these Christians, they would have been poor. Um, and they lived in a society very much like ours that was very unequal. Much of the Roman Empire, apparently, was dominated by uh, rich landowners 
who owned large amounts of land and made uh, vast sums of money from the crops they could grow. And those landowners often treated the workers who worked their land very badly. They lived in luxury while they mistreated their workers. And James gives a very uncompromising message to these rich people. Look at verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He speaks to these rich uh, landowners in their big houses on their great estates, uh, many of whom I'm sure felt very comfortable. And he tells them that miseries are coming upon them. And so we need to ask ourselves why. Why were miseries coming upon these rich people? Well, first of all, he says it's because they were storing up treasures on earth. Their focus was on accumulating wealth here and now. uh, Building bigger properties, expanding their estates, trying to squeeze more profits out of their business operations. I'm sure it gave them lives that many around them would have envied. But James says that these rich people are living for the wrong thing. They have ignored the God who made them and the God who made all of the wealth on the earth. And they've lived instead for things of this earth. When the Lord Jesus walked, he said that no one can serve two masters. And these people have chosen to serve money rather than God. But they haven't lived with the right perspective. As verse 3 says, They have stored up treasures, not realising that they are in the last days. The last days is is how the Bible describes the time between uh, when Jesus first came to earth to die on the cross and rise again, and when he uh, comes again. All of history before Jesus first came was working up to that day when he uh, was born as a baby and then lived and died and rose again for our sins. But since that time, uh, the next big event in history that we look forward to is when Jesus returns and all will stand before him in judgment. And on that day, uh, these rich landowners, James says, will see how temporary and fading is any wealth now. It says in verse 2, your riches have rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. My uh, wife is on a permanent uh, mission to exterminate the moths from our house It's a mission that's been going on a long time and I'm not sure we'll ever succeed. And so every time she sees one, she'll stop whatever she's doing, she'll grab the nearest chair, she'll um, get up on it and flail around until the moth is is thoroughly squished. Um, Because she knows that moths ruin uh, our clothes and our sheets. And James says that the the sumptuous garments of these rich people will one day be moth-eaten and full of clothes, holes. Even uh, gold and silver, which are are prized for being metals that don't tarnish or rust, he says, will one day be corroded and useless. On the day when when Jesus returns, this wealth will be good for nothing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. But in fact, it's even worse than that. In verse 3, he says, not only will their riches be useless, but as these people stand before the judge as if uh, in a courtroom their great wealth that they've stored away will be brought out in evidence against them. Evidence that will be used uh, to condemn them. He says in verse 3, your gold and silver have corroded 
and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is a a sobering passage, isn't it? Uh, As we read it, we need to remember that it's not just a a theoretical situation we're considering. Uh, This is real life. Uh, The rich people that James was writing to were were real people. People who've now been dead for for almost 2,000 years. And their clothes uh, really are uh, moth-eaten and their wealth is long gone. And they await the day when uh, they, along with with all of the living and the dead, will stand before the judge and they will be condemned. The book of Revelation, uh, it pictures that day in uh, chapter 20 of Revelation. It says uh, there in uh, Revelation chapter 20, John, who's writing it, picked visions. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is that picture that the Bible gives us uh, for hell, for the place where all who are condemned on that day will be sent. And James goes on to say these rich people will be sent there not only because they've stored up treasures on earth, but in doing so, uh, they've trampled on the poor people around them. He says in verse 4, Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And their cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. These uh, wealthy landowners uh, would have paid, had many people working on their land. And from James says that they've paid them low wages while keeping for themselves big profits. They've kept back their wages by fraud. Uh, many of the labourers would have, would have been uh, poor people who depended on steady uh, day-by-day pay to be able to buy the daily bread to keep them alive. That's why in the Old Testament there's the strict laws about um, making prompt payment. In the book of, of Deuteronomy, God commands uh, the people of Israel that they shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor or needy, whether he's one of their own brothers or one of the sojourners who is in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day, before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. And the Almighty God is one, isn't he, who cares for the poor and the vulnerable. The cries of the poor um, reach his ears, and he is angry at oppression and injustice and a failure to care about people who are made in his image. Well, we don't have to uh, look too far, do we, to see this attitude of, of mistreating workers or holding back pay uh, still exists today. I was reading the news uh, last week and um, I was uh, telling about um, Tim Gurner, one of Australia's richest men, saying how keen he was to see unemployment go up and reduce the arrogance of his employees and remind them that they work for him and not the other way around. 
and whatever point he was trying to make by that, um, his comments seemed to portray a, a rich person who doesn't have any empathy for the difficulty that uh, is ca- caused every time someone is made unemployed. And Sir James says in verse 6 that ultimately the practice of these rich landowners have led to people uh, dying. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These uh, rich landowners are only interested in their pleasure and self-indulgence and are willing to do whatever it takes. But James says that from an eternal perspective, they're like cattle. Um, They're like a cow enjoying its food and eating more and more and more, not realising that it's been fattened so that it can be taken to the abattoir and slaughtered. Well, again, these are, are really sobering words. So how should we respond? Well, we need to make sure that unlike these rich landowners, we have an eternal perspective on life. And that means, first of all, uh, each of us needs to ask ourselves, do we face the same destiny they were? Uh, there might not be any rich landowners in here. I don't know. One day stand. on storing up treasures here on earth? Am I uh, living for wealth now and willing to trample over anyone else in the process? If we are, um, then we too face that same condemnation. And you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Jesus told his disciples that it's easier for a, a rich person to go through the eye of the, the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But what is impossible uh, with man is possible with God, isn't it? The only way that any of us can stand before the judgment of Jesus is because he offers to save us. And as we we read these words of James about the wrath to come, the weeping and misery and slaughter, uh, we remember that the reason that the Lord Jesus came to earth was to take uh, that misery and weeping upon himself. We remember that he took our punishment on himself. He uh, died on the cross to bear the wrath that we deserve so that if we repent, whoever we are, we can be forgiven. And if we do, then on the day that the judge returns, we won't be condemned, but given eternal life. And so each of us need to ask ourselves, uh, where do we stand when we think about that day? And then for all of us, how easy it is to, uh, to envy those richer than us, to see their, their nice houses or their big gardens or their powerful jobs, and to want it for ourselves. Uh, we can have ambitions to, to have more things and to, to earn more money. And uh, they're not in themselves necessarily bad ambitions if we want to provide for people. But the eternal perspective changes how we think about these things, doesn't it? When we read these verses, we don't envy the rich people as they stand before the judge. And these verses too, they ask us uh, with an eternal perspective in mind to think about um, how we uh, uh, fare before God, don't they? They tell us that God is a God who loves the poor and hates injustice. And so they make us ask, are we acting justly to those around us? Or are we just using our wealth to help ourselves? Are we uh, storing up too much for ourselves? That's not an easy question to answer. The Bible has uh, many good things to say about working hard and providing for your family. But we do need to ask ourselves about how we're we're using our wealth. 
Maybe by the standards of the UK, uh, none of us here are particularly uh, rich. But maybe some of us are compared to those uh, Christians we talked about in Pakistan. In the book of, of um, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells about the Macedonian Christians who, who were very poor, but whose hearts were stirred when they heard about uh, the suffering of Christians in Jerusalem far away. And out of their poverty, they gave beyond what they can afford. For all of us, uh, having that eternal perspective can make a real difference to how we live today. Jesus tells the story of a rich man, clothed in purple and fine linen, feasting sumptuously every day. And at the gate of his grand mansion, there lay a poor man called Lazarus. He was poor materially and he was poor physically too, covered in sores on his body. He desired to be fed uh, from whatever fell from the rich man's table. He longed to go through his bins and eat his leftovers. Even the dogs came to eat Lazarus' sores. But then uh, Jesus gives us the eternal perspective on these two men. He tells of how Lazarus died and was taken by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in great anguish. And besides all this between us, us and you, there a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. That's the eternal perspective on wealth that we need to remember. But secondly, what about those who aren't rich and comfortable? What about those who are finding life hard and suffering and facing troubles? Well, those people too need the same eternal perspective. So let's look secondly at what James says about the coming reward for those who patiently endure. It's a... Uh, a sign of how wonderful the gospel is, isn't it? That the same uh, return of the Lord that we've just talked about, that is, is so awful and fearful a prospect for those who aren't ready, uh, attains into a, a wonderful event for those who are trusting in Christ. Something that brings comfort and joy. Uh, in verses 7 to 11 of this passage, James is probably speaking particularly to Christians who, who are oppressed at the hand of the rich landowners he's just talked about. But his words can help any of us to have an eternal perspective as we face trouble or suffering. He says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. For the rich landowner, the Lord's coming meant facing judgment. But what does it mean for the suffering Christian? Well, we talked about that a bit. If you were here this morning... When the Lord returns, he will bring justice for the oppressed. He will bring an end to suffering and wipe away every tear. He will bring uh, true riches, riches uh, that won't perish and spoil and fade, but will last forever in the new creation. Uh, Which above all means that we will see our Lord 
face to face in all his glory. That's what the uh, Lord Jesus talked about when he walked, walked on earth and when he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And that's what the coming of the Lord means for God's people. But it hasn't come yet, has it? Do you know, one of the hardest things uh, when your child is minimum height restrictions. Uh, There's lots of places that have them. The International Swimming Pool in Cardiff, uh, near where we live, has some really exciting slides. Uh, But before you can go on them, you have to stand by the little measuring line and and make yourself as tall as possible and see if you reach the minimum height restriction. And if you don't, you have the really difficult experience of seeing uh, those really good slides, uh, seeing people enjoy them, but knowing you can't go on them yet. You have to wait until you grow uh, taller. And waiting like that can be really difficult, can't it? But waiting is a big part of the Christian life. And so James says, be patient. Wait for the Lord's return. He says, you need to be uh, like the farmer who sows his seed. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to grow uh, fruit or vegetables. But when you put the the seed in the soil, there's no point coming back the next day and expecting something to eat, is there? You need to wait while the sun uh, shines and the the rain falls or you water it. And then eventually you'll see a little shoot that will uh, hopefully appear. And hopefully over time it'll grow bigger and then maybe you get um, flowers and then fruit finally starts to appear. And even then it's no good uh, picking the strawberries when they're still green, is it? You need to wait till they're ripe and red. And then finally you get to enjoy some precious fruit. And James says that like the farmer, we are called, we wait patient and wait for the precious fruit that will come at the Lord's return. We need to be steadfast to establish our hearts so that we can keep going as we wait. He says in verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Stay strong because the Lord will come soon. But maybe at this point we might think, well, James is writing this almost 2,000 years ago. How can he say the coming of the Lord is at hand? Our car was broken down recently, and uh, the mechanic kept saying it would be ready soon. And eventually I realised that when he said soon, he had something different in mind to what I had in mind. But even for him, uh, 2,000 years seems to be stretching it a bit far, isn't it? Well, if we think that, we need to remember two things. Uh, Firstly, as we've already said, we are in the last days. The next uh, key event in history is the Lord's return. And it could happen uh, uh, very soon. It could happen at any moment. But secondly, we need to remember, as the book of, of Peter says, that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years as is a day. The Lord is not uh, slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Uh, it's only a couple of weeks, isn't it, since all the children started to uh, go back to school after, half to, after summer holidays. 
And uh, many children find that difficult to adjust because uh, six weeks off can feel like a long time, can't it? And so it's hard to get used to going back to school again. But you know, uh, the older you get, time seems to go quicker, doesn't it? And six weeks uh, can go in a flash. In fact, I'm still making the mistake of putting 22 on the date instead of 23, which, uh, given that we're in September, um, shows how quickly things can go. But in the same way, if that's true uh, for you and me, then, then what seems like a long time for us can seem like a couple of days in the eyes of our eternal Heavenly Father, can't it? And so we need to be patient. And we need to look forward to that day which is coming soon. What does it look like to live patiently? Well, one thing it means is that we don't grumble against one another. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's really easy, isn't it, when we face uh, difficult times to take it out on those around us or maybe those closest to us. Maybe uh, things are, are difficult at your workplace. Maybe you're being treated unfairly. Um, and you manage to hold it in and stay composed. But then when you get home, uh, you take it out on your family or friends, those closest to you. You're clap, snapping and complaining and grumbling and, and taking it out on them. But if we're enduring patiently, we won't be like that. And again, we need uh, an eternal perspective, James says. Behold, uh, the judge is standing at the door. And we don't want to face his judgment. Earlier in his letter, James has made it clear that, that if we trust in the Lord Jesus, our faith is never alone, but that we see uh, by the way someone lives uh, that they have true faith, by the way their lives are changed so that they do good works. And of course, uh, uh, none of us are changed perfectly until the Lord Jesus returns. But if we're people whose lives are full of grumbling against each other and complaining, then our lack of love might be a sign that we haven't really known the Lord's love. And so we need to uh, uh, repent and ask for forgiveness and ask for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit so that even when we're suffering, we don't grumble against each other, but we wait and endure patiently. And then finally, uh, James gives us some examples of what suffering and patience look like. He says, as we face suffering, as we uh, uh, seek to endure with patience, think about those prophets who we read about in the Bible who spoke in the name of the Lord. Uh, think about Elijah, who had to live through years of fam famine, who was, was hated by King Ahab and, and whose wife uh, Jezebel uttered murderous threats against him. And when he uh, ran from, from Jezebel, he said, It is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. But God strengthened him and spoke to him, and he was able to endure. Or, or think about Jeremiah, who uh, preached the message of coming judgment to the people in Judah. And the people and the king, they hated it for him. And when the Babylonian army uh, uh, came to Jerusalem, he was beaten and put in prison, and then thrown into a cistern. Uh, but through it all, God helped him to endure. And the book of Hebrews says that all of these prophets were people who lived by faith. They didn't receive what was promised in their lifetimes, but they had to be patient. They had to look to the salvation that God would bring in the future. Or, James says, consider Job. 
Remember Job, his wealth was suddenly uh, taken from him. His children were all killed when a a storm struck their house. Uh, He suffered awful, painful sickness. Uh, But when it all happened, he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've read the book of Job, you'll know it certainly wasn't straightforward for him. He struggled and, and questioned what God was up to. But ultimately, he clung in faith to God, and the Lord rewarded him so that his last days were more blessed than the beginning. Well, if that is how uh, God's servants uh, suffered in the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised, uh, should we, if we face struggles in life too. But we don't uh, pity those prophets now, do we? Because we know that they have endured to the end. And because of that, they are blessed by God. And then, uh, last of all, James says, above all, consider the Lord himself. He is a God who is compassionate and merciful. He is a God who loves his people and will not allow them to suffer any more than is necessary. He is a God who will give us a very great reward. And so consider him and endure with patience. Well, as we close, the the key message to take away is keep that eternal perspective. Remember, that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, Look forward to that day. And one way we can remind ourselves of it is to pray. Do you know what the last uh, prayer in the Bible is? Come, Lord Jesus. And that's a prayer we can use ourselves to, isn't it? 